says, have you ever noticed that when you're in close proximity to someone that is living into their passion, whether or not it's your passion or not, when you're in close proximity to someone that's living out their passions, their passion becomes a bit contagious to you? Like, have you ever been close to somebody and they are just like unashamedly going for it? Like, they, they know what God has made them for. They know what they've been put there for. Maybe they don't articulate it that way, but when they wake up in the morning, they go, man, this is, this is what I was made for, and I'm going to do this with all of my strength and all of my ability. I don't care who thinks what about it. I'm just going to do it. Have you ever been around somebody like that? And have you ever noticed that passion, passion is contagious? Yeah, I learned this in two pretty unexpected places over the last few weeks. One was at my son's school. Uh, when I drive Micah to school in the mornings, we'll park kind of in the neighborhood next to the school and we'll walk up to the school. And there's this crossing guard there. This isn't a joke, this is true. There's this crossing guard there and I'm convinced she was put on earth by God to be a crossing guard. And uh, it's amazing, this woman, her passion for the safety of children and the stoppage of cars is un unparalleled. I mean, she loves it. She's so good at it. I picture her sometimes just like laying in bed with a stop sign in her hand and a whistle on her lips. And she's so joyful. I mean, just like, stop your car. If you come any closer, I'll kill you. Come on, children, just smiling. I mean, that kind of personality. She's amazing to be around. The other day, I'm dropping Micah off at school, and I go in and eat breakfast with them. I'm sitting there, and we go, I come out, and all the cars have left, but she's still kind of there manning her post. And I said, you love your job, don't you? She said, I love this job. I love it. She said, I love rain or shine, snow or sleet. I'm like, who are you? She's like, I love this. And I remember like getting back in my car and I'm like, man, just being in close proximity to someone that was living in to what it was that they were made for just gave me a new perspective on the day. Have you ever been there? Think about another unexpected place. It was the beginning of January. Will, the guy that was leading us in worship a few moments ago, Will and I went to India, and we were there for a week. It was a really short trip, but there's kind of multi-purpose uh, kind of things that we're supposed to do in the trip. We were meeting with some of our church planters. We were meeting with different le leaders from all over the Southern Hemisphere. And for about five days, we were with 3,000 Christians from 29 different nations. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever been around. And we're worshiping, and we're praying, and we're seeking God. And the last day that we were there, Will and I got invited into this kind of small little meeting. There may be 100 of us in the room. I'm not sure how many were there. And we're there in this, this meeting, and the guy that was in charge of the conference that we'd been invited to come teach at, he says, I want you all to just hear some of the stories of what people who are doing what you are doing, of what it's costing them in places like this. For the next hour and a half, we sat in this room as about 20 or 25 leaders from the persecuted church in northern India just began to share the cost of their calling. And this isn't the time or the space to tell all their stories, but there's this one story in particular Remember, there's a, a man who's about my age. He'd planted a church. He was the first church he'd ever started in, uh, first church that had ever been started in this village in northern India. And he starts this church with his family, and God was doing some amazing things. And then in 2009, about the time that our church was getting started here, in 2009, there was this upheaval in the government, and some extremists came knocking on their door. And he says the last thing he remembers was trying to get away with his family, trying to get away from the, the pursuit. And he wakes up three or four days later in the hospital bed, nearly dead. And they begin to deliver the, the news to him that everyone in his family other than him had been killed. His parents, his wife, his children, 
some of the people that were in his church. And he's sitting there and he's just sharing this story. And he talked about the grief that came over his heart as he was trying to put together what it meant to live for God. He said, as I, he said, as I was laying in that hospital bed, I started thinking, I've got to get well because I've got to go back to the village. Because if I don't go back and show them how much God loves them, who in the world's going back? And it was one of those moments where I, I realized I was standing in close proximity to someone that knew exactly why it was that they'd been put on earth. That there's this, this passion for the name of God and the glory of God and the kingdom of God that so exceeded anything I could understand as an American that has lived up my faith in such safe realms. There's this moment where we had all of the leaders come together and we began praying over them. And the guy that was leading the meeting, he said, hey, what do you want us to pray about? And not one of these persecuted leaders asked for us to pray for their safety or for vengeance then asked for anything about their provision. They said, would you pray that the Lord would give us boldness and open doors so the kingdom of God would be made known here? And it was one of those moments where I went, man, this must be what it feels like to sit in the presence of Jesus. Somebody's heart that's just on fire and fully awake to what it is that they were put on earth to do. You know, I love these images of Jesus that you see in the scriptures. You know, he, he knew that although he was unlimited in his power, his time on earth was so short. And Jesus had this like clarity. He had this focus that gave him the ability to live into the things that God had made him for. And so Jesus had this way in the midst of ministering and serving. He knew when it was time to go. He knew when it was time to stay because he knew that the purpose of his life was about one thing and that was the advancement of God's glory. He knew that he'd been put on earth so that people like you and I would know that God is immensely better and different than we could have ever imagined. More loving, more gracious, more holy, more perfect, more powerful, more truthful. And Jesus was like this walking billboard for the goodness, the unexpected goodness of God. And everywhere he went, he's like, man, do you know how good the Lord is? The purpose of Jesus' life was about the advancement of God's glory. And it's not until we understand the purpose of his life that we understand the prayer that Jesus gives us to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, because the focus of my life is the advancement of my glory. Because the focus of my life is the, the lifting up of God's name. This is the way that you pray if you want to pray like me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's this beautiful moment here where Jesus looks at the disciples he says, in order for you to be my disciple, Ethos, please hear me on this, okay? In order for you to be a follower of Jesus, it doesn't just mean you got in a tank of water or you raised your hand at the back of a dark theater. To be a follower of Jesus is you saying, Jesus, I want to, to go where you go, do what you do, live as you live, be as you are. It's this full commitment to the person and the work and the mission of Christ. And Jesus says, until you understand my purpose, you can't understand my prayer life. And Jesus says, my purpose is the name and the glory of God. And so my prayer begins to reflect that. He says, when you pray, this is the way you pray. Our Father, may your name, your kingdom, your will be done. See, Jesus hadn't been introduced to the American way of praying. We hadn't discipled him yet. Jesus didn't view prayer as this 
thing that you say, this thing that you do in order that God would maybe, if you just say the right words, use the forces of heaven to secure for you the comforts of earth. Now, Jesus knew that prayer was this exchange. It was this place where you come face to face with the Father. It's this place where you come into intimacy with Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you begin to want what he wants. And you begin to lay down what it is that you want. You know that moment that we talked about last week out of Mark chapter 14? That's a fun moment to talk about where you talk about sharing your heart honestly with God. We all love sharing our hearts. But isn't it true that it's the second part of that story that is so much more difficult where Jesus says, Father, this is what I long for. This is what I want, but not my will. What? Your will be done. And Jesus says, if you want to pray, it's imperative that your heart beats for the name and the kingdom and the will of God. Otherwise, this whole thing that we're doing will feel shallow, dry, and pointless. My confession is, it's so much easier to talk about praying this way on Sunday than it is to pray this way on Monday. Like It's easy in a place like this to go, God, we, we live for your will. I mean, do you even realize the words we were singing a few minutes? Like, Lord, you can have it all. Like, that's what we were just singing. And I go, what if you weren't allowed to utter the words if your heart didn't believe it? How quiet would the room have been? I remember years ago, I read this biography about a guy named George Mueller. Have any of you heard of George Mueller? Do you know who he is? Just had this amazing prayer life. And I remember as I read this biography, one of the things that stuck out to me was George Mueller always wrote down his prayers because he wanted to be able to go back and to look at the content of his prayers and to see what God had answered. And so I was inspired by that. And about four or five years ago, I started writing down my prayers every day, just kind of bullet pointing them. And at the end of each week, I go back and look and say, okay, God, what did you answer? How did you answer it? What do I need to keep praying into? And it's amazing because I realized so often I wouldn't recognize God's answers to prayer because I had forgotten quite simply what I prayed for. But I remember as I began that journey, I was like writing down my prayers and I decided every so often I'm gonna go back through my journal, I'm gonna type it up because Sydney can't read my handwriting. I'm gonna send her my prayer journal so she'll know, my wife will know what it is that God's doing in my heart. And I remember the first time I sat down to do that, just this feeling of remorse washing over me as I was typing out about 40 or 50 days worth of prayer. When I was a kid, my dad said to me, and it stuck with me all these years, he said, Dave, if you want a true window into the heart of a man, just listen to the words of his prayers. Like if you want to know what a man is passionate about, or if you want to know what he's unpassionate about, just listen to what he prays for or what he doesn't pray for. And I remember sitting there, like typing out my journal, and I went, Lord, here's what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about my name, my security, my strength, my comfort, my kingdom, my ways, my will. And I went, Lord, is it even possible for you to answer the prayers of a guy that is as self-centered as Dave Clayton? (laughs) And it was one of those moments where the Spirit of God was just saying, come on, let me give you my heart. Let me give you my agenda. Let me help you pray the way that I pray. And I've been in this tug of war for the last four or five years. I haven't arrived. I'm not where I used to be. I'm not where I want to be. And sometimes there's this huge chasm in between those two places. But I'm in this place where I'm I'm beginning to go, hey, God, I want to want what you want. Have you ever been there before? Just raise your hand if you've ever been there. Lord, I want to want what you want. Like, 
I don't know that I want it yet, but man, I want to want it and I'll take the progress. That God, would you help me long for the things that you long for because there's a deep tendency still in me to give first place energy to second place pursuits. And Jesus says, if you want to understand my prayer life, you have to understand my purpose. And my purpose is the extension of God's name, God's glory, God's will, and everything. And the way you pray reflects that. And I go, this is the, the, the longing. This has been one of the things that I've been praying for our church over the last 15 days, is that in this season, that God would hit the cosmic reset button on the heart of our church. That God would hit the reset button on your soul, that he would begin to reconfigure some of your habits and some of your desires and some of your longings, some of the things that we crave as individuals and as a community, and that God would begin to do what he talks about in Ezekiel 36, where he says, I'll take out your heart of stone, I'll give you a heart of flesh, I'll clean you up, I'll give you my spirit so that you will know that I'm your God and that you're my people. I'm praying that this will be a season where God moves us into the forefront of what it means to know him deeply and intimately, no matter what it costs us and where it will lead us. For us to come to this place of authenticity where we can say, God, whatever's in your heart, that's what we want, and we'll pray no matter what it costs us. And it's been cool to watch the fruit of this begin to bubble up over the last 15 days. Uh, literally every day over the last two weeks, I've, I've heard stories from you about husbands that are praying with their wives for the first time. I was talking to this one guy. He's like, I feel so guilty. We've been married all these years. We've never prayed before together. I said, hey, don't feel guilty. Just thank God that he's given you the mercy to do it now. Or think about the, the young moms that are beginning to read the word with their kids or the roommates that are beginning to think more intentionally about what it means to live on mission in their neighborhoods or on their campuses. Literally every day over the last 15 days, I've had someone in our church call me and say, hey, God's calling me into some sort of mission, I think. And I go, of course, because the passion of the Father's heart is contagious. And when you draw near, he draws near to us. And the passion of his heart begins to rub off. And I have this, this longing for our church family to become this community of people who aren't just identified by the buildings we show up in, but we're identified by our common commitment to the purposes and the passions of God. And then we come together and say, man, if you're interested in living into the will of God, so am I, let's try this thing together no matter how hard it feels and no matter where it leads. You know, ethos, the truth is, and I say this with love, if you want to live a safe, comfortable, predictable life, you don't need church to do that. You can stay at home, you can listen to your podcast, you can read your books, you can hoard your money and you can die and your kids will spend it and then your grandkids will forget your name one day. But if you want to live like Jesus, you need the grace of God, the spirit of God and the testimony of the people around you. And I go, could we become a people that are unashamedly excited about the purposes of God? I think we can but it's only in the place of prayer that our hearts receive the exchange. And Jesus says, this is the way we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, glory be your name, worship be your name, extended be your name, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In your prayer life, how often are you using the word your? I go, God, give us your heart. And it's cool because I'm beginning to see the fruit on the tree. Last night we were at a birthday party for one of our, our friend's kids and we were there and almost every conversation 
was about the kingdom of God. And I go, Lord, this is what it tastes like. This is what it tastes like when we begin to see that you're really worth feasting on. You see, this fast is not ultimately about what it is that we're giving up. It's about what it is that we're receiving in the space of the void. And I believe God's inviting us to the banquet table. I'll just share one story with you before we enter into our time of prayer. Um, this, this week, uh, one of our sisters, who's a part of our church family, her name's Whitney Peterson. And some of you know Whitney very, very well. She's on staff at Ethos for two years. She's one of our kids' ministers. Then we commissioned her out about a year and a half ago. She went to Seattle, and for about a year, she was a part of the kind of the early formings of the team out there that is hoping to plant a church one day. She was a part of that for a season. She's a nurse by trade. That's, that's her job. And she's always had a heart for people. And, and some of you have been on the receiving end of Whitney's big heart over the years. Uh, every week, I feel like I meet people that are part of her house church or that are touched by her life here. And she so encouraged this church. Well, uh, about two months ago, she began a new job, this new assignment, where she decided that she's going to start using her nursing gift in some of the most unthinkable places on earth. She wanted to go to the places that need the most medical attention, the most medical help. And so three days before Christmas, she calls us and she says, I've got my next assignment. My next assignment is Mosul, Iraq. She says, I'm going to be stationed in a tent less than 10 miles from the, the kind of the fiercest line of fighting where ISIS is holding the line. And we're going to be ministering to and providing medical relief to the men, women, and children that are coming out of the battle. She said, would you pray for me? And I thought, man, what in the world makes a single young woman leave the comfort of Seattle and go to a place like that? And I go, only somebody that has rubbed up next to the heart of God. But what's cool is if, if you know any of, of Whitney's journey, the last year hasn't been a real easy journey. It's been a lot of struggle and there's been a lot of questions. There's been a lot of things that she's wrestled with. And the woman that used to minister to so many of us so faithfully, you had the opportunity this year to turn around and minister back to her. And there's this strengthening that happened in the context of community, even though we were a country apart, or all of a sudden we were giving each other the permission to care about the will and the heart of God, despite some of the questions and the doubts and the fears that we all have. And we were talking to her this week, Sydney and I were emailing back and forth, and she said, Dave, there's something about that community there in Nashville that gave me the courage to be okay with asking God to use my life however he wants it. And she said, and I want to turn around and give the gift back. This week, I read an email to our staff, read it, and we spent about an hour just weeping and praying as she was talking about some of the things they're experiencing. And maybe I'll share that email at another time. But it got to the end of our exchange, and she wrote out kind of this prayer and part of it was a prayer for us. Part of it was something that she was informing us of. And I'm like, man, God, this is a picture of what Jesus is teaching us to pray. This is a picture of what Jesus is teaching us to do. And so I just want to listen. I want you to listen to these words that, uh, that Whitney sent me earlier this week. She said, the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad alerted our security team of a specific physical threat that's planned to take place at the beginning of February against our team at some point. Listen to this. But I trust the Lord's will. Whether God chooses to protect my life or whether he has decided that this is my time to be set free from the world, either way, I trust the Lord. 
This is your sister that's writing this. She says, the harm of the threat, although it's real, is not my greatest fear. The harm of the threat is not in the potential act of physical violence towards me or my team. For God is good and God is sovereign. She said, but my real fear is that this distraction will be a threat to my mind and that it will prevent me from accomplishing the plans that God has for me while I'm here. So would you just pray as a church that those of us here would live in faith and peace and strength and that we'd not be riddled with fear and a desire for self-protection. This is where she starts talking to our church family. She said, I wonder where God is calling the rest of us to let our walls down, to follow him outside of our comfort zones. For sure, he doesn't call all of us to Iraq, but I'm convinced that more than ever, he has something for each one of us in our church family and for his kingdom here on earth, but it will require us letting go of our ways and taking hold of his will. That as we lean on his power, his power is made perfect in and through our weaknesses and he'll sustain us. So would you tell the church, thank you for the prayers. They're needed and they're felt. Love your sister, Whitney. And I go, what happens? What happens when ordinary people in Nashville, Tennessee say, God, you know what? I've drawn up all of these plans for my life. I had all of these agendas. I have all this fine print. Lord, I'll take it all away. And I trust that you're a good, good father. And I will trust you to direct my life as you see fit. You know, I wonder what would happen if we had a, a church that trusted in the character of God enough to pray like that. I think kids in Iraq would experience the touch of a follower of Jesus. I think your businesses and your work and the things around you would change. And I believe the passion for God's purposes would burn through our church like a wildfire in the midst of a drought. Let's pray for that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in our church family as it is in heaven. God, give us everything we need today so that we can live for your hallowedness, so that we can live for your greatness, so that we can love you and serve you. God, give us the ability to lay aside all of our fears and all of our wants and all of our desires, God, so that we can know you more fully. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. As you're coming in this morning, you received communion, and I want to give you some instructions. We're going to enter into some time of prayer together. And I want to invite you to take the communion and we're just going to give you eight or ten minutes right here with the people that are next to you to break the bread and to drink the cup. And here, here's the one question that I want to give you to wrestle with as you take communion. Just share this with the person next to you. What area of your life do you struggle to surrender? What area of your life do you struggle to surrender? You know, some of you... Maybe it's your vision. It's like you want to be married so badly one day, and man, that's a good thing. But, but you have this longing, and you know God's called you into some things, and you don't know how they coincide. Maybe there's an area God's inviting you to surrender. Maybe it's a, a place of financial security. Maybe it's a place of physical proximity.
But I want to encourage you as you break the bread and as you drink the cup to be reminded that the one who taught us to pray this way loves us with an unparalleled love, with an unmatchable love. That Christ has loved you and he's died for you and he's raised for you and he can be trusted when he says, this is the way that you pray. So I want to encourage you with the person next to you. Let's take some time. You can share what's on your heart. You can pray together. You can break the bread. You can take the cup. But this next space of time is yours, and then I'm going to lead us into some times of prayer. I love you. Let's take communion. Let's pray together. I want to invite you to stand with me and uh, kind of for this time of communal prayer, if you'll just stand with me and you notice we've done different postures with our hands this morning. But I want to invite you to just kind of lift your arms before God and just this image that you see in the scriptures of us uh, lifting our hands before the Lord, almost like a child lifting their hands before the Father saying, um, only you, Lord, um, uh, can lift us up. And so I just want to pray over us as we enter into this last time of worship and prayer. Father, I pray that in our church, in the season ahead, beginning today, that God, you would give us childlike faith. That God, you'd give us such a clear understanding of how incapable we are apart from your help. And, but, but that revelation, God, wouldn't be um, discouraging. The revelation wouldn't be fear-filled. The, the revelation would actually be alleviating that, Lord, as we begin to come face-to-face with our inability to do anything apart from you, God, would we feel the, the, the courage to metaphorically but physically raise our arms before you as your children and say, God, uh, you've got to lead this thing. Uh, Father, I pray that you take all of our desires, both the good ones and the bad ones, and that, God, you help us to surrender them to you. Um, that, God, in this season, you would give us such a vision of your love and your trustworthiness that we would humble ourselves before you, Lord, so that we don't have to be humbled by you. God, I pray that you would give us uh, insight into just how long and how wide and how deep is, is your love and that it, it exceeds anything we could ask or imagine and that, God, that would be the thing that draws us to you. God, I pray for our church in this season that you would help us to fear you, Lord, in the way that the Bible speaks of fear. We're told that fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And that, that, God, as we would come to you, that we would know that you're different than us and more amazing than us and better than us. And in that place of holy reverence, that, God, you would reach out and show us how kind and tender and amazing you are. God, I pray this morning that the things that you have brought to the surface of our lives and our hearts, that you alone, Lord, would deal with them. 
uh, for your glory and our joy and the good of those that are around us. God, I pray that generations would be affected by the things that you're beginning to do in the hearts of the people in this room together. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.